So looking at today's weather, you're probably like me, you're thinking, will this winter never die? We'll just, <laughs> will this winter never end? We thought we got some relief. We thought we had August and April, and then it's back again, freezing us again. And a lot of times in life, our troubles can feel that way too. Our troubles can feel like they just won't die. They just won't end, whether it's our, our very tangible troubles or our troubles in our mind and the things that cause us anxiety and, and despair. These things that seem we can't, sometimes it just can't get rid of them. Even we get relief for just a little bit. Maybe we thought we had relief and it's right back in, like this weekend's weather. <laughs> and, but I think of this man, this layman here. I mean, he was like, this was like an eternal winter for him. He was born that way and he had suffered. This has been his whole life. And in that one moment, the power of Jesus came in and, and transformed his whole life, filling it with life and health. And so we're going to read um, these verses here, 1 through 10. We read that story here, and we're, we're going to get into our scripture sermon today. So before we read, uh, let's open with prayer. Dear Lord, please bless this reading of your word. Open our, our minds and our hearts to hear it and receive what you have to teach us in it. Um, and to see the power of Jesus Christ in our lives. May we look to you for our grace and our health and our strength and the reviving that we need. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. So Acts chapter 3, verses 1 through 10. Now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour, and a man lame from birth, was being carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple that is called the Beautiful Gate, to ask alms of those entering the temple. Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms. And Peter directed his gaze at him. And I wondered, was that like a... <laughs> You know, I got my eyes. He directed his gaze at him and John, as did John, and said, look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. And Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have, I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and, and raised him up. And immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. And leaping up, he stood and began to walk and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God and recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple asking for alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. And uh, we can easily understand these ev events would cause wonder and amazement, but they're also a cause for walking and leaping and praising God in your life. Because it, 
what, what I'm going to read next, the sermon of Peter, as soon as the crowd gathers around, Peter immediately connects the healing in this man's life with the power of Jesus Christ. And then he connected Jesus Christ with the lives of the people in that crowd that he spoke to. And so he therefore is connecting it with our lives. The lame man was a real man, but he is also a spiritual picture of the condition of our hearts without Christ. Without Christ, we are spiritually lame. It's a very fitting picture because it says he's lame from birth. Un we're unable to do anything worthy or righteous in God's eyes. In fact, Ephesians 2 verse 1 says, we are dead in our trespasses in sin. Unless we have Christ. And so and like this lame man, before we knew Christ, we, we had to be brought to God, just like his friends brought him to the temple. And we must sit helplessly before God. And our only hope is that he will have mercy on us. And the good news is that time and time again, he tells us and speaks to us that he loves us and does indeed have mercy on us. And so Peter, he immediately showed his audience their need for Jesus in their lives. And that's what we're about to see as we walk through his sermon here. They needed to be set free from the sin that held their hearts helpless. They needed new life from God. And so do we. And so we're going to, Peter's sermon here is begin in verse 11. Picking up in verse 11 here. While he clung to Peter and John, so the lame man, he's now, he's, he's just hanging on their shoulder, just so delighted. So while he clung to Peter and John, all the people, utterly astounded, ran together to them in the portico called Solomon's. And when Peter saw it, he addressed the people. Men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? Or, or why do you stare at us? As though by our own power or piety, we have made him walk. The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant, whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him. But you denied the holy and righteous one and asked for a murderer to be granted to you, and you killed the author of life, whom God raised from the dead. To this we are witnesses. And his name, by faith in his name, has made this man strong, whom you see and know. And the faith that is through Jesus has given the man this perfect health in the presence of you all. And now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did also your rulers. But what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets, that his Christ would suffer, he thus fulfilled. 
Repent, therefore, and turn back, that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus, whom God must receive, or sorry, whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring all the things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. And so Peter, throughout this text, he is proclaiming that Jesus is the Christ appointed for you. Jesus is the Christ appointed for you. And what Peter declared clearly in verse 20, he established through public facts in verses 11 through 15. But before he goes into those public facts, Peter first diminished himself. He made himself little. He made it clear he had no power, nor was he so pious that God should listen to him. No, this was God's work. God did this. The God of Abraham, their God, the God they knew. God had worked through Jesus, his unique servant. And God had glorified Jesus. And all the people knew this. They knew God had glorified him through the signs and miracles during his ministry. They knew Jesus had taught with authority. This was publicly known. But most of all, God had glorified Jesus by raising him from the dead. Jesus was also the the holy and righteous one. He was perfect in all his dealings with God and with man. And I don't, there's not one of us who can say that. In so many ways, in, in unknowingly, sometimes knowingly, sometimes unknowingly, we offend each other, we hurt each other, we dismiss each other as we're in pursuit of our own goals, our own desires. And I'm, I'm trying to, we should all ask ourselves, can you think of anything you've done where, where you could say, hmm, that was, that was perfect. More often, we are secret, secretly anxious that what we have done is not good enough and that we will be rejected. But Jesus is the righteous one, and he's also the author of life. And that, that title, that is a clear identification with God. Because God is the creator, he is the giver of life. So if you're the author of life, then you are the creator God. And the Gospel of John, verse 1-3, established this. It says of Jesus, all things were made through him. So Jesus' glorification and his resurrection from the dead prove he is the Christ. But we also consider the nature of his ministry, how he had compassion for people, how he came and he served people his promises to God, has died on the cross for us. It shows he is for you. He is the Christ appointed for you. And after establishing this, Peter showed the Jews that they needed this Christ appointed for them. They needed him. And it's very clear how badly they needed him. They had denied him. They had denied their Messiah. 
They had delivered him over for crucifixion. That wasn't what Pilate wanted. Pilate had sought to release him. This was their decision. They had delivered him over to death. They asked for a murderer instead. They killed the author of life. And we should just pause and consider those words. Because if you, I mean, the evil of that is, is abhorrent and it sounds impossible. How do you kill the author of life? The, the evil of that, if we really felt the meaning, should make us cringe. They were spiritually lame. They had darkness in their hearts that had to be cleaned, that had to be removed. But if we read Ephesians 2, we see that without Christ, without Christ, we are no different. People today, we are not different. Ephesians 2, 1 through 3. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. The rest of mankind, so meaning all of humanity without exception. And that means us. The same darkness, darkness of sin is in our hearts too, unless, unless you know Christ, unless Christ is in you. Jesus is the Christ appointed for you. In verse 15, Peter called himself a witness. He and the apostles were witnesses to the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And that is their role in this. They were not special, except that Jesus chose to work through them. And Peter wanted his audience, that he wanted them to know that it was by faith in Jesus Christ that this man had been healed. And it's by faith in his name that his audience could also receive new life from Jesus. God wants you to know that by faith in his name, you can receive new life from God. By faith in Jesus' name, you can receive new life from God. And these words and acts, these were recorded and kept so that you could hear and believe and receive it. And we receive it just like the lame man. All he had was the word of God spoken by Peter. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And Peter explained this in verse 16. Jesus' name has made this man strong. That's what Peter says, exact words. And we know a person, we think about it, just a name, the name of a person. Well, we know a person by their name. It's our, our knowledge of them but behind the name is the person. And so the, it's the person of Jesus that is the source of the power to heal, this power to heal. Jesus had made this man strong. 
And Peter adds a little amendment to his phrase here. He says, by faith in his name. I don't know if you caught that as I read it there. He says, his name. And then he like interrupts himself and says, by faith in his name. And so the word by here, it, it describes the means of connecting this man's need with Jesus. His power is mediated through faith and his word. Faith receives the, ble receives the blessing that Jesus is bringing. In this case, it was the apostles' faith that connected Jesus to this man's need. They had faith because of what Jesus had done in their life. He had transformed them. And now by faith, they declared Jesus' power in this man's life. By faith, they spoke Jesus' word to him. By faith, Peter reached out and grabbed his right arm and pulled him up. And he was immediately healed. And in response to the word of God that healed him, this former lame, na lame man now had faith in Jesus. And he was walking and he was leaping and praising God. And, and to just think about the fullness of the miracle, the completeness of that healing, because we, we know anyone with children has known, especially you know infants and toddlers, it takes a little while for them to figure out what to do with that strength. You have to figure out, how do I use this leg? How do I sit up? How do I push up? How do I stand? How do I balance? How do I, you know, that's why we call them toddlers, because they, they scoot around and toddle. They, they cruise around the furniture as they're figuring out, how do I use these things? And this man, who had been lame from birth, he had never used his legs ever. His brain does not know how to use them. And not only are they immediately restored to full strength, but he immediately knows how to use them. He is leaping in the air, and he doesn't land and fall over and go splat. You know, just the fullness, the perfect health of that miracle. What a picture, what a sight. And in the end of verse 16, Peter ends with this. He says, the faith that is through Jesus has given the man this perfect health. Perfect health, as we just talked about there, just demonstrated. So the faith that receives Jesus is also given by Jesus. Jesus must come and reveal himself and make himself known to us so that we can trust him and put our faith in him. And he comes to you by his word, just as he did with the lame man. However, we should know not every lame man was healed that day. So that Peter's direct word, specific promise to that specific lame man is, is not meant to be for everyone every day of their life. It will be ultimately fulfilled for everyone who is with Jesus in heaven on that final day when everything is healed and restored. Yes, every lame thing will be restored at, at that time. But we... We can't, I can't speak Peter's promise to that layman over to you today. However, Peter did declare promises to all the crowd, and those promises are meant for all people, and therefore they are meant for you. Verses 17 and 18 connect directly back to the events of Jesus' death and resurrection. God had foretold through his prophets that the Christ must suffer 
for his people. So when Peter said, he thus fulfilled, the word thus is referring to the manner in which it was fulfilled, which was the sin of man that had Jesus crucified. Their sin caused the Christ to suffer, but God used that to fulfill his salvation for them. And the broad lesson here is that God can use suffering to bring about good. God can use suffering to bring about good. And that is a truth we need every day. Because the, the world around us looks like it is falling apart. Many days we feel like we are falling apart. And when, when you look ahead, you, you might just feel like you're wondering, is more suffering headed for me? And suffering is terrible and tragic, and this doesn't change that. But in the middle of suffering, God can work good. And th this must have been so personal for the crowd on that day because it was their ignorance that had caused this evil. And that didn't excuse them, it just tells it how it happened. They were full participants in it. And yet God was able to bring mercy and grace to them despite themselves. So th this, their, Peter's sermon to them, th this is their wake-up moment. The word of God has revealed their sin, but it's also revealed their savior. And that, that, that is always how God works, by the way. He's never gonna condemn you with sin without showing you relief and salvation from it. If you, if you hear condemnation of sin without any hope, that's, that's usually the devil talking, accusing you and trying to get you in, locked up in despair and destruction. God always shows the way of salvation and mercy he's bringing when he shows us our sin. And so they've been shown their sin and their savior through God's word and through Peter, God called on them on every person, repent and turn back. Change how you think of yourself and how you have lived. Turn back to God. Turn to Jesus. Turn to the Christ appointed to save you. And this is his promise. In the name of Jesus, your sins are blotted out. It's just like when we declare the absolution, I mean, the, uh, the declaration of grace after we have confessed. It's based on this promise. In the name of Jesus, your sins are blotted out. This means erased. So if we imagine here God's judgment book that records all our deeds, every sin for the believer, for the one who has faith in Jesus, every sin is blotted out by the blood of Jesus. It is erased. In God's perspective, it is as if it never happened. And Colossians 2 verses 13 and 14 tells us that God has forgiven us all our trespasses, by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. So your sins were, were nailed to the cross with Jesus. Your sins were nailed to his cross. And when you put your faith in him, then you receive what he has done for you. Then your sins are blotted out. And if you do not know Christ, or anyone listening on the recording later does not know Christ, then you need to hear this so that you may hear it and 
believe it and receive it. And if you do know Christ, then we need to hear it too because our belief grows, grows tired. Some, we, we question it. The things we've done in the past still haunt us. They're not erased from our memory even though they're erased from God's judgment. They're, they still haunt us. But God says, for Jesus' sake, your sins are erased. They are gone as if they had never happened. He says, there is no stain on your soul. Jesus took that stain upon himself so he could remove it from you. Another promise in these verses is that Jesus gives times of refreshing. One commentator defines these times of refreshing as periods of spiritual enjoyment where we feel the sweetness of God's grace in Jesus. They come like warm sunshine and gentle breezes upon the soul. You feel refreshed, revitalized, and strengthened. And there's a, there's a unique godly spiritual quality to it because, as the verse says, it comes from God's presence. And because it comes from God's presence, it is fresh, it is new, it is never stale. And I, I don't know about you, but <laughs> that sounds good to me. I, I would long <laughs> would for refreshing from God's presence on my spirit and soul because we, we do get weary and worn out. We get wor worn out of trying over and over again. So, and, uh, but when this refreshing comes upon a whole congregation and a whole community, we, we call this revival. And Jesus promises that seasons of refreshing will come to you from God. And they come to you through Jesus. But we should not miss that Peter instructs us to repent so that times of refreshing may come. We all long for the refreshment. We want to be free of anxiety, free of stress, uncertainty, and chaos. We want new strength, confidence, energy, and, and, and fresh enthusiasm for life. But often we don't want the repentance that must accompany it. But this, this is like wanting to feel the warmth of sunshine, but refusing to, to leave your cold basement. If you want the warmth and refreshment that God gives, then when he digs you out of the ice of sin, you must leave it behind. Times of refreshing are a wonderful gift from God, and he, he knows the journey in this life is hard. And so he loves to send you seasons of refreshing. Now, refreshing is not what we should expect for every single moment of the Christian experience. He does call them seasons. Life in this world will remain hard, but God can and will send you seasons of refreshing. And like all the gifts in Christ, these seasons are received by faith and they're brought to you by God's word. And often, just like this layman, the, that word is spoken by one of God's people. 
And so this is why we, we gather regularly to hear God's word, to study it, and to proclaim it to each other. This is why scripture tells us, encourage each other with these words. So not, so not just me encouraging you, you encouraging each other with God's word. It's why we go to Bible camps. It's why we pray together for God to work in us and among us to revive us and refresh us. And we know he will do this in his timing when he knows it will be most effective and lasting for us and when he has prepared us to receive it. And I remember a time just after I had um, resigned from the Navy and I was, I was really expecting that, that very quickly, very soon, God was going to make it clear to me what was next. And uh, I, I waited two years before that answer. But God knew what I needed. He knew what I needed to be prepared with. Because um, what happened in between in those two years was a healing journey that I desperately needed. Um, and the core of that healing came down to this. My, my thinking needed to be changed by the truth. Because I had misjudged my past. I had misjudged what had happened to me and what I had done. And my thinking about those things had been distorted by, half, by lies and half-truths. And they had distorted what I thought of those things. And it, it took a while. It, wasn't, it took a, a year of going to a counselor to have the truth correct that. But when it was done, I was free. My mind was free from, from the endless cycles that I could not break free from by myself. God had made me ready for what was next. And I'm, I'm very grateful. To this day, I'm so grateful for that breakthrough that he brought in my life. But I also realized, looking back, that that time of trouble lasted years longer, years longer than it needed to because I wouldn't ask for help, because I wouldn't seek counseling, you know, until, until I finally did. God is eager to bring refreshing and renewal into your life. But too often we refuse to accept it because we will not let go of our wrong ways and we won't submit to him to receive his help. He is the only one who can blot out our sins, who can bring us lasting refreshment and who can transform our lives. And in his life, he promises seasons of refreshing. But there's also a promise to come when the seasons will end and that refreshing will be complete and it will be eternal. And as we read in the verses here, a day will come when God will send again the Christ appointed for you. Jesus will come again, but until then, heaven must receive him. See, after Jesus' death and resurrection, he ascended to heaven. He returned from where he had come. And so it says, as the verse says, heaven receives him, meaning it accepts him. It welcomes him as belonging there because it should, because he is God the Son, the Lord Almighty. He, he belongs there. And he is there now, orchestrating all things until the appointed time for him to come again. 
And when he comes again, then will be the restoration of all things. Paradise will be restored. And this is the consummation of everything that our souls, our existence longs for. Because we will be complete and whole. Humanity will be restored. Creation will be restored. We will live with God, dwell with God in peace as we did in the Garden of Eden, only even better this time. And this restoration is what God had foretold by the mouths of his holy prophets long ago. And the times of refreshing in, in this life, they are a glimpse, a tiny glimpse into the joys of heaven that await us. And when that comes, everything that is broken will be healed. Everything lame will be healed. And we will be walking and leaping and praising God. Amen. Let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you that you are the healer, the refresher, that you have sent Jesus, the Christ appointed to save us and to bring his healing, restoring power into our lives. Just heal our broken hearts, broken and, and ruined by sin, to cleanse us, to blot out our sins and bring refreshment into our lives. And Lord, you know how greatly we need this every day to be refreshed and renewed and we pray that you would send your spirit through your work and through your word into our hearts to refresh us and revive us, to revive our faith in you, to restore to us joy for life and, for you, and love for you and a turning away from sin and all that harms and destroys our life and our soul. We pray that you would give us a love for everything that is good and from you. We pray this all in Jesus' name, amen.